Hey guys, welcome back to Dissecting Dexter, the podcast reviewing the Showtime TV series Dexter, and today resuming the season one rewatch, which, let's face it, it has been a long time coming, hasn't it? We got halfway through season one last year, uh, but then we had the minor distraction of season five to contend with. Regular listeners will know that we put down season one to concentrate on the new season, and I was personally really chuffed to be able to keep up with it and crank out a podge a podge <laughs> a podcast each week uh reviewing each season five episode as we went along during that time i was even more chuffed to see the listener numbers shot up and i was getting a great load of feedback each week this was just brilliant and all the reward i needed i hope a lot of those listeners will still be on board now we're going back to the season one rewatch this is the first season one podcast of 2011. I did do a season five highlight show at the beginning of January. But for those of you who have just been working your way through the rewatch podcasts, uh, Happy New Year to you. Sharp eared listeners will have noticed the lack of spoiler warning at the top of the show. As I said, this is a rewatch podcast today. We're going back to season one and in these shows... I only talk about what's gone before, not what's yet to come. So if you've not watched up to the end of season five, don't worry, you will not get spoiled in these rewatch podcasts, I promise you. So a quick bit of housekeeping before we get into today's episode. As you know, I love to hear from you, whether it's by voicemail, email or on Twitter. For voicemail, you can call one of the listener lines. In the UK, it's 0844 five seven nine six nine four nine and you enter mailbox ID O eight three two O when the voice prompts you. In the US the numbers changed. Now the way it works after thirty days of inactivity they cancel the number and of course we've had a few weeks off apart from that highlight show so suffice it to say our number got canned. But I've set up a new one. So for our US listeners, or indeed anyone who doesn't mind phoning international numbers, hey, I wouldn't knock dedication, the number is 206-337-4817. That's 206-337-4817. If you try and ring the old US listener line, um, I guess it'll, it'll be unobtainable or, uh, or it won't get through to me anyway. If you don't want to call but still want to send a voicemail you can email an audio file whether it's mp3 an iphone uh, voice recorder file something like that you can email that to dissectingdexter at gmail.com so that's the email address of course but there's also twitter follow me at dissectdexter and there's also my personal twitter which is at gareth underscore uk um, if you want to hear about what other TV shows I watch, films, personal stuff, if if you're interested, who knows. Um, it'd be great to hear from you and get another voice on the show apart from me. So, uh, you know, I look forward to hear from, hearing from you. Want to end up on my table? Email dissectingdexter at gmail.com Right, so season one. We're moving into the second half of the season now, and episode 7, entitled Circle of Friends, first aired on November the 12th, 2006. It was written by Daniel Cerrone and directed by Steve Schill. Now, Schill is a British director who started out on British shows like The Bill, Inspector Morse, Emmerdale and EastEnders. He's known to die-hard Dexter fans as the director of some really key Dexter episodes, including the season 4 and season 5 finales. This episode was his Dexter directorial debut, although he directed some great US shows in the past, including episodes of Rome, Deadwood, The Wire, Law and Order, Sopranos and The West Wing. So, let's dive back into season 1, the ice truck killer and the fascinating journey of the complex character that is Dexter Morgan. We open with a little teaser, leading us to think that Dexter's killing someone. 
He's making knife strokes through the air and we see shots of blood spatter on the walls. Of course, we know Dexter's M.O. and this isn't it, but it's left ambiguous until we see a wide shot. Dexter's at a murder scene, bloody victim on the floor in front of him. He's seemingly been mimicking what he thinks the killer's knife strokes were. Of course, our friend Dokes sees. Remember, this is the only member of Miami PD who has the creeps about Dexter, and his comment is funny. Swear to Christ, Morgan, after this case, I'm submitting your ass for psychiatric evaluation. Just retracing cast-off patterns, directionality angles. Can you tell us what happened here or not? It's an execution. Pretty unlikely victim. The kid's an honor student, the editor of his high school yearbook. It's all in the knife work. It's skillful, no waste in motion. Killer had experience. Every stroke hit a major artery. Or at least came close. You get a goddamn hard on there, Morgan? <laughs> That's just typical dokes. We know Dexter gives him the creep, so it's typical that he should poke fun at Dexter in that way. But to Dexter, the similarity to a previous murder strikes a chord with him. The previously on Dexter sequence at the beginning mentioned the boy Jeremy Downs, who Dexter described as a young virtuoso. He muses how he's seen these wounds before, and if you remember, he let Jeremy go, seeing someone troubled with their own dark passenger. Jeremy had killed the boy who raped him. Seems like he didn't take Dexter's advice. Back at the police station, Deb's telling Batista about her chasing up on some ice truck killer leads, albeit long shots. She says how many mass murders were tripped up and caught because of stupid things. They run a check on traffic violations and a familiar name comes up, Neil Perry. Remember him? He was the guy supposedly out walking his dog at the old hospital where they found Tony Tucci. The records put him rather suspiciously near two separate crime scenes. They go to his home in a trailer park. The car parked outside is a wood-panelled station wagon. As Deb reminds us, in case we'd forgotten, one of the prostitute victims was last seen getting into just such a car. Then they notice a CCTV camera swivelling round to watch them. They split up, each covering a door to the trailer. And while they're preoccupied with that, Perry escapes from a hatch underneath the trailer and runs off and gets away in another car parked round the corner. Of course, we as viewers don't know at this point whether Perry is the ice truck killer or not. But let's face it, he's not helping his case if he's innocent, is he? We then join Dexter, who's analysing images of knife wounds and confirms his suspicions that he believes Jeremy Downs has killed again. He had him and he let him go, and now he's killed again. Now, I'm not sure Dexter can feel guilt, but he does feel that if he'd not shown Jeremy that kindness in letting him go, it seemed fair, he says. But if he'd not let Jeremy go, there would be one less murder victim on the books. LaGuerta is assigning the troops to investigate and hunt down Neil Perry. She keeps dokes on the knife victim, and Batista is given the job of heading the task force to apprehend Perry. Deb's smug, of course, so early in her detective career. Something like this will give her a career a great boost. Dexter looks at the photo of Perry. His own interest in the ice truck killer is, of course, slightly different to that of his colleagues. It's hard to read what he's thinking as he looks at the picture. There's no voiceover, although his response to Deb is outwardly a slightly sceptical one, and one which visibly deflates her somewhat. We cut to a school where Rita arrives to pick up the kids, only to be mortified when she discovers that their father has already got them. Let's remind ourselves this is Paul, the man who was violent and abusive towards Rita, someone who raped her and has just got out of prison. To say Rita is horrified is an understatement, and <laughs> understandably so. Cut to Neil's, Neil Perry's trailer, where police are trawling for evidence. There are stuffed animals everywhere, some patched together to make weird hybrid things. One looks like a groundhog with horns. Batista's issuing instructions before having a conversation with Masuka and Deb. Listen to the background music. You just know a joke is coming, like a comedy train coming down the track. Woo-woo! Everyone, follow strict, sterile protocol. There will be no contamination of my crime scene. Bag anything that could be used to murder or dispose of a human body. Well, that's pretty much everything in here, boss. Except this. Can you say sick fuck? Uh, some might say that. To others, 
Crypto taxidermy is a fine art. I got a mummified chupacabra at home. Can I have permission to run Masuka's prints as an ice truck killer? No need for that. I'll give you some warm DNA right now. Oh, God, you're gross. I didn't hear that. Uh. <laughs> That's classic Masuka right there. I love Deb's reaction too. We join Dexter at Rita's house. Rita, of course, is terribly upset, wondering what's going to happen to the kids. Dexter tries to keep her calm, and when she hugs him in tears, his face looks a little startled, unsure of how to handle her. This is Dexter, young and inexperienced in handling normal human emotions. Genuine sympathy and understanding don't come easily to him. This relationship, as we said before, is a big learning curve for him. Then the front door opens, and in come Astor and Cody, closely followed by Paul. He's played by Mark Pellegrino. He had a significant role in the TV show Lost, playing Jacob. But previously to that, I'd only seen him in Prison Break and a very small part in The Big Lebowski. You may recognise him from Supernatural, and he's now got a role in the US version of the British show Being Human. Looking on imdb.com, he's been in quite a few things, including a 1999 episode of The X-Files. So, Rita's pissed off, of course, but Paul says he did leave a message at Rita's work to say he was going to pick the kids up and take them to the carnival. Then Paul spots Dexter in the background and introduce him, introduces himself. They shake hands. Uh, hi, how are you? I'm uh, Paul Bennett, father on parole. Uh, Dexter Morgan, I can't think of anything clever to say. It's a bit awkward. Dexter knows what Paul's done to Rita, so he can't be feeling very friendly towards him. And Paul's not too sure what to make of him. Actually, <laughs> didn't you think his hair was funny? Paul, that is. He had a whole sort of 70s <laughs> Starsky and Hutch thing going on. Paul says how he missed his kids and missed a few other things. He looks at Rita and the inference is fairly clear, but I must say, I don't fancy his chances. We rejoin Deb in Perry's trailer where she finds a hidden compartment in a cupboard. Inside are folders and files full of newspaper clippings documenting the ice truck killer case. Best of all, they find photos that were never released to the press, suggesting he took them himself. Suffice it to say, Deb and Batista are like cats who got the cream. LaGuerta reports to Captain Matthews. LaGuerta talks about what they're doing to try and capture Neil Perry. Matthews looks impressed, and you can see it hurts him to admit it, although he doesn't say it in so many words. LaGuerta is feeling pretty pleased with herself, and she's glad to prove him wrong after he'd given her such a hard time before. She even thanks him for helping make her the woman she is today. We go back to Rita's house, where she's tucking Aster into bed. Aster comes out with something that's both touching and sad. She says, he's not going to hit you anymore. I made him promise. Aster, she must be about eight years old here, and it's sad to hear this young voice say something like that. We've mentioned before that she was old enough to remember some of the terrible things her father did to Rita. We know she saw things and certainly heard things. Cody, though, was too young, but how touching also that Asta trusts her dad's word and believes his promise. The innocent, wishful thinking, maybe. In the living room, Rita and Dexter are giving each other foot rubs. Now, I take issue here. I'm not a foot person, and I have no desire to see Dexter's toes, or, or Rita's, to be quite honest. They could have just been having a cuddle or something, not rubbing each other's feet, for goodness sake. But... In their conversation, <laughs> uh, Rita affirms how Cody is too young to think of Dad as anything more than a concept, but Asta remembers what went on. She also says that technically she and Paul are still married. Paul refused to sign the divorce papers, and she has a theory about that. I think for all the darkness that haunts him, Paul loves having a family. I think he's just afraid to let go. When did you first notice it? This darkness inside the guy you fell for. I always knew it was there. I guess I just didn't think I deserved better. Till I met you.
I have a dark side too. <laughs> what I do? Somehow I doubt that. You have a good heart, Dexter. You're not like Paul. You don't hurt people. Innocent people. I don't hurt innocent people. Wow. Just wow. That was a confession right there, and it didn't register with her. The reality of Dexter's darkness is so far removed from what Rita knows of him. She just smiles in response. Dexter's shown her nothing but kindness, regardless of his actual motivation, because we know full well he's trying to blend in and appear normal. At least that's his. That's been his initial motivation. But as far as Rita's concerned, he's been. Kind, gentle, good with the kids. He's given her the sort of relationship she needed, coming out of that abusive one she'd had with Paul. But Dexter, he actually confessed to her. He told her the truth. Seems that Rita and Deborah both have a blind spot when it comes to Dexter, <laughs> and lucky for him. Rewatching this scene, having of course seen all of Dexter as I have, I can only stress what a big thing this was for him. He took a chance, definitely. Perhaps his guard was down, but maybe this was a sign of his need for a relationship where he can be completely open and honest, reveal his darkness, and be understood. Whether Rita will discover the full gruesome truth remains to be seen, but the fact that she didn't reel from his confession, probably just because she had no idea of the gravity of what was behind it, but she didn't reel away, and that must be a small comfort to him. Rewatching this scene, and bearing in mind this is a TV show about one character's personal journey, it's important to focus on these moments because they're key to Dexter's journey. Okay, so to the next day, Dexter's at a halfway house looking for Jeremy Downs. He speaks to a stoner kid, and it sounds like Jeremy's been getting cash for homosexual favours. The kid offers himself to Dexter, undercutting whatever Jeremy charges. I, I found this a bit disturbing, and. <laughs> I hope the writers aren't guilty of stereotyping teenage boys who live in halfway houses. I mean, I'm sure a lot of these kids are desperate for cash, but I'd like to think the majority don't turn into rent boys. Anyway, Dexter gets a call from Deb. They're digging up Perry's patio, and she wants Dexter there, despite it being his day off. Dexter tries to protest, but she cuts him off. However, once he's there. He surely can't help but be fascinated that he's entering the lair of the serial killer. He's been playing this little game with all these weeks. He looks around at the bizarre array of stuffed animals, and he seems he seems particularly taken by a raccoon's head on a plate. He goes outside and talks to Deb. Hey, Dex. Thought you'd want to be here. Something's buried down there. Masuka's been digging all night. I hate to break this to you, Deb, but you know you've got the wrong guy here, right? The ice truck killer drains the blood from his victims, freezes their bodies, and only then severs their limbs. It's clean and efficient. That's his psychological signature. Neil Perry, on the other hand, stuffs roadkill. Yeah, and turns it into fucked-up fantasy shit. But the fantasies are all wrong. The guy we're looking for wouldn't turn dead, dirty things into living cartoons. He'd find that pathetic. How do you know? Because it is pathetic. Deb, trust me. Neil Perry is not a killer. He's a dabbler. He's a waste of time. If the guy we're looking for took his early fantasies out on animals, he'd bury them, not display them. And what about an early human kill? Would he bury that too? Sure, probably. Then turn around. You were saying this is a perplexing turn of events for Dexter, who set off taking the wind out of Deb's sails before she turned all smug on him again. After he'd been spouting about Perry not being the one, they dig up human remains from the patio. A female. Dead about two years, or so Masuka estimates. They see one of the legs. They see that it's been neatly sawn off, much like the other victims. So Deb turns smug and says to Dexter, "You're the expert. What do you think?" Now, I can understand her being a bit funny about this. She's trying to make her way in the department, earn the respect of her colleagues. She's still very much the newbie, and Dexter's been down on the Neil Perry lead, something she'd been proud of. Of course, we know he's mostly right, but at the same time, he's her brother, and she needs his support and encouragement—something he often gives. But here, she feels he was down on her line of investigation, and now it looks like he was wrong, at least for now. So, 
I think she feels like he should concede and give her some credit. Of course, Dex is puzzled and surprised by this discovery. He thought he was being given a master class by the ice truck killer and now he's kind of disappointed to find that all of a sudden the police are onto him and he's on the run. It doesn't quite add up to him. Next, we go to Rita's house. It's breakfast and Cody's full of talk about the rides they went on with their dad. It must be hard for Rita to hear this talk, this enthusiastic talk about the man who abused her so much. Next thing, Paul creeps in with donuts for the kids and flowers for Rita. But she's having none of it, telling him he can't just walk in. An argument threatens to brew, but Paul backs down and sets about making breakfast. But you can see on Rita's face, she's, she's thinking, how can she get out of this? She didn't seem obviously frightened, but there was an edge. And Asta too, she was just looking down, while Cody seemed mostly oblivious to the situation averted. I like Mark Pellegrino's performance in this scene. He wasn't threatening, but when he raised his voice a bit, the tension was cranked up a notch, probably helped by us knowing stuff that he's done in the past. Back at Miami Metro, Batista gives the team a briefing on Neil Perry. They seem to have identified the body from dental records as being that of his mother. He carried on cashing her social security checks, but they theorised the kill killing wasn't about the money. They found out she was a controlling woman, kind of ran his, ran his life and used to beat him. So, a serial killer with mummy issues, it seems. Batista asks Deb about getting Dexter's take on this, but she's still ticked off with him and says no, he'd only piss on our parade. We join Dexter out on a jog, mulling things over. He's had time to think and believes Deb's wrong about this, but we see he's actually out to hook up with Jeremy Downs again. At least, that's what he intended. As he draws near, Dokes rushes in with other officers and arrests Jeremy, even knocking Dexter over in the charge. And Dexter knows he had a lucky escape there. Had he started interacting with Jeremy? <laughs> well, you can imagine the questions from Dokes when he identified him. Cut to a motel. Deb and Batista are out canvassing with a photo of Neil Perry. They speak to a woman who works there who eventually says she's seen Perry. He's a regular there and he's actually there right now. He took a girl to a room earlier. Deb and Batista crash in and find the woman bloodied and tied to a bed. You just know that ball was going to go back into her mouth and she'd be bait. We jump over to Dexter in the police department, still counting his lucky stars. Dokes called him in. Turns out Masuka lifted a print from the alley that matched Jeremy Downs, who'd cut up a victim five years earlier. Same knife technique, as well we knew of course. But Dokes is interested in how, yet again, Dexter has this acute instinct with killers and wonders why. Dexter... Typically shrugs it off, but as he walks away, Doke says, I'm watching you, and Dexter does this cute wave over his shoulder. A little foreshadowing, perhaps, but I love these little moments between Dokes and Dexter, don't you? Dokes has nothing to go on except his own instincts, and Dexter knows it, so he can get away with being cheeky like that. Back at the motel, Perry returns to the hotel room, where he, of course, gets nabbed by Batista and Deb. Curiously, and disturbingly, Perry starts to sing a hymn of some kind. I don't recognise it. But he's defiant in the face of the police, continuing singing as they cuff him. Next, we have a great scene. Dexter's watching Rita's kids. They're making a concoction of some kind, full of sugar and E-numbers, no doubt. Paul knocks at the door, and Dexter answers it. Paul! Oh. Hey there, big guy. Uh, Dexter, right? Paul, hi. Hey. Uh, Rita's not here. Oh, that's okay. I'm actually here for the kids. Came to dazzle them with my booty. This booty. <sighs> this is awkward. I'm afraid I'm not comfortable letting you inside the house without Rita here. 
Who are you anyway? Like the babysitter? Well, I'm watching the kids right now, so I suppose that makes me the babysitter. Are you fucking my wife? I'll let Rita know you stopped by. Or I could just walk in my house. I own this place. I bet she didn't tell you that, did she? Oof. Homeowner issues are way over my head. I should probably just call the police, let them sort this out. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, why don't you give those presents to my little buckets of sunshine? Tell Rhea she can reach me at the motor court. Okay. He might be a crack-addled wife-abusing Yahoo, but he refuses to abandon his kids. I'm not sure that's a good thing. Did you jump when Paul made a swing at him? <laughs> that was great. Dexter in total control there. He played it really well, while Paul showed the latent aggression and violence that we knew was there. I loved how Dexter played it cool. He used his head and protected the kids and did right by Rita. He did the right thing in the right way. Would a genuine psychopath or sociopath do that? Anyone thinking Dexter's just a monster who doesn't care about anything but himself should think again. But is there anyone left who still thinks that? You're listening to Dissecting Dexter. Okay, so back to the police department again, and Dokes congratulates Deb for bringing down the most notorious serial killer in Florida history. And she's just loving it. And it's good to see. But she feels bad that Dokes wasn't part of the bust, seeing as they did the groundwork together. She tells him there's a party tonight for Tony Tucci getting out of hospital. He's having a coming-home party, and Deb wants to go and give him the good news about the break in the case. Later that day, Dexter's talking to Rita about Paul's visit. He learns that Paul actually still owns the house from before he and Rita met. Rita's upset and Dexter consoles uh, put my teeth back in. Dexter consoles her by saying they're there, which is oh, it's such a lame thing to say, but it doesn't register with her as being so. She says she wishes Paul would just disappear forever, something that makes Dexter smile. That can be arranged. Although he doesn't say that out loud. Cut to Paul in a motel room. He's, he looks like he's rolling a joint, which would no doubt be a violation of his parole. A shadow passes the window, but we find it's only Rita. A bit brave, turning up on her own. Paul wants her to come inside and tries to pull her in by the arm, but she stays on the step. With a quiver in her voice, maybe a mix of anger and fear, she tells him what's what. No more surprise visits to the house, no more Disney dad, which is a good turn of phrase. And she hands him the divorce papers and demands he signs them and she'll agree to supervise visits with the children. Amazingly, he ends up signing the papers, saying he's a changed man, although he patronisingly says, I love this new Rita, I love this new you, he says. Later, LeGuert is interviewing Neil Perry. The entire department, including Captain Matthews, are watching on a TV screen. On another screen, Jeremy Downs is being questioned by Dokes. Dexter comes in and notes Perry doesn't have a lawyer. He also inwardly comments how Perry and Downs are his two colleagues, technically speaking. A bit of a strange thing to say, but you can see where he's coming from. However, he's still pretty sure that Perry's not the ice truck killer. In the hospital, it's party time for Tony Tucci. Deb's there and they all have some light-hearted chit-chat. She steps aside with Rudy, the prosthetic doctor, and they have a conversation. You can see in Deb's eyes that she fancies him, and he asks her out to dinner. Back in the interview, Neil Perry is telling LaGuerta how you have to dig for greatness if you want people's attention. Outside, though, the troops are getting restless. Why isn't LaGuerta asking him any questions? Back in the room, Perry observes how this is an interesting interview technique, and LaGuerta responds. I'm tired of asking questions. I'm getting off on this too fucking much. Getting off on what? The game. I'm guessing that's why you didn't request a lawyer. So you can sit here and say whatever shit comes into your head. Meanwhile, my ass is spitting my cheese whiz waiting for you to figure out this isn't the fun part. What are you talking about? We got you dead to rights. But the good times won't start rolling till you're in a courtroom. 
with your own personal judge, Ido. On court TV, Karen, your scary-ass scowls and crazy shit live. Fascination with serial killers is an American pastime. You got creepy housewives, magazine profiles, maybe even a summer blockbuster movie. All waiting for you. But the feeding frenzy won't start till you throw out the chum. So then I'm just gonna chill. You're right. This isn't the fun part. The fun part was hanging them like cattle. Hanging who? Way to go, LaGuerta. This, for me, is one of her series' highlights for character and actress. Lauren Velez did a great job here with this little monologue, and it gets Neil Perry to open up. Perry reveals details of prostitutes' murders that never went to the press, seemingly proving himself as the ice truck killer. Dexter looks deflated. He had such high hopes, hoping he could learn a few things from this guy, yet here he is, confessing and revealing his techniques. He looks to Jeremy Downs and observes how his circle of friends is down to one. Okay, Dexter doesn't think in the same way as the majority of us, but I guess he was being slightly ironic in his use of the word friend here. He manages to disconnect the security camera in Jeremy's interview room, and he goes in to speak to him. A highly risky thing when the department is packed with officers. Anyway, Jeremy recognises him, in, uh, and he's so shocked to find he works for the police. Dexter looks at him darkly, though, that dark passenger on the surface now. He demands to know why he killed again, why he killed someone who didn't deserve it. Jeremy explains he just wanted to feel something different. Different than what? What do you normally feel? Nothing. Fucking nothing at all. I hate every fucking goddamn second of it. I can't stand it. Living my life in my head. Does killing make it better? No. Worse. Fucking worse than ever. Put your hands on the table. Do it. I'm a lot like you, you know? Yeah, right. You're a killer. I'm empty. But I found a way to make it feel less bottomless. How? Pretend. You pretend the feelings are there for the world and for the people around you. Who knows, maybe one day they will be. This is a fascinating scene and a key one in our discovery of how Dexter's mind works. Jeremy is pretty much like Dexter when he was at that age. Young, frightened, unsure of himself or what he was feeling, or more like what he was not feeling. Dexter tries to help him, although it might have to wait. Jeremy's banged to rights for two murders. He's not going to be seeing the light of day for a while. Dexter explains how he has to appear normal, pretend to have feelings for those around him. He says how maybe one day those feelings will be real. A little hint for us to what Dexter aspires to be. Normal, with normal emotions and feelings. But in the meantime, the only way he can survive is to give in to his dark urges, but in this channeled way, by killing those who deserve to die. As viewers, we have to choose whether to put our normal moral code aside to root for him. He's like a one-man judge and jury, but ultimately doing it to satiate his darkness first and foremost, not to make the world a better place. But as he explained when he was at a young age himself, he had Harry to talk to. Harry helped guide him, helped him to channel his darkness. Harry seemed to realise that he couldn't cure the darkness, so he'd have to help him focus and manage it in a controlled and arguably semi-productive way. This is the big moral talking point of the show, that we root for this guy who is killing people. Are we all warped? 
or are we, are we all rooting for him, hoping he can eventually conquer his darkness and successfully lead a normal life? Well, personally, I don't think I'm warped. <laughs> but of course, we do, don't we? We hope. We're all fascinated by this character and maybe hope that somewhere along the line he'll become normal, conquer his dark passenger, don't we? OK, so moving on. Deb's out with Rudy, talking about her family life as a child, opening up to him. She says how her brother and dad were always closest and she felt a bit left out. Rudy seems charming and listens to her, and he then says about how his mum got in a car accident when he was young, lost both her legs. He says he just wanted to put her back together, like Humpty Dumpty. The look on Deb's face, you can see she's attracted to him, so it's no surprise when they end up snogging. Blech. We join Dexter in his apartment the next day, looking through his family photos and toying with the doll's head left by the ice truck killer. He's musing how he'll miss his playmate. He's got Rita and the kids, but they can never know the real him. Now the father is back, too. Things have changed. He feels the need to connect with someone, having previously always prided himself on being an outsider. He saw something of himself in Jeremy Downs, but ended up giving him advice he never took and feels he failed him. Not that he had any obligation to help him, but perhaps he felt he could help save Jeremy from getting caught, like Harry helped him. Uh, so, Dexter's at the prison, where Jeremy's being held, saying Jeremy deserves better, and we'll, and we'll get it from now on. Now, he doesn't elaborate on that, but I wonder if he means that he's prepared to guide him himself, visit him in prison and talk to him, help him along. But, in slow-mo... The prison guards barged past him, running to a cell. And could you guess what had happened? Doesn't take Einstein to work it out, does it? And, of course, we see Jeremy dead on the floor, apparently having cut his own throat on the bed frame. God, can you imagine doing such a, such a thing? Oh, I guess it kind of illustrates the mindset of the poor kid. Dexter says that maybe he did take his advice after all, killing someone who deserved to die. But he looks sad. Captain Matthews comes to congratulate LaGuerta on her good police work and decision-making that led to Perry's capture. Matthews outwardly seems to look proud of her before he sticks the knife in. She's dolling herself up for the press conference, only for Matthews to tell her he's already done it, and it seems didn't even credit her to the press for her efforts. She's livid. Like her or not, Matthews deserves no credit at all for the bust. We rejoin Dexter at the prison, where he's arranged a chat with Neil Perry. He says he's always been alone since Harry died, but now he actually feels alone. Jeremy is gone, and Neil Perry will soon vanish into the catacombs of the system. I have so many questions for him. How did he discover my secrets? What was his message to me? He's been in my home my photos my life he knows me now I need to know him to connect face to face before he's beyond my reach forever Are you? And the smile on his face <laughs> and the little glance at the camera say it all. And maybe you were like me and smiling too. What a great ending to the episode. Love it. So Dexter now knows this is not the ice truck killer. How Perry knows so much about the case to convince the police remains to be seen. And why would he want to cop for all these murders? He did say to LaGuerta that you need to dig for greatness to get people's attention, so maybe that's all that he craved, to have infamy, even if it meant taking the credit for someone else's crimes. But won't he face the death penalty? Does he care? Do you think Dexter will tell the police about his discovery? <laughs> will he heck? The game's back on. Harry can't save you now, but you could 
email the podcast. DissectingDexter at gmail.com So actually, I thought that was a really strong episode. Some good progression in the plot, everyone busy. A couple of big character moments for Dexter, which I make no apologies for spending a long time talking about in my review. It's what I enjoy most about the show, Dexter's character journey, and from your feedback, I know I'm in good company. The review was a bit longer than I intended, all the same though. I <laughs> I need to be more concise with the recap, I really must, but it's hard when there's so much good stuff in this episode. So much to talk about, but let's hear from you now. Listener Feedback Okay, I've had a few emails through since I last podcasted. Um, some of them have been more specific towards uh, season five or, or other seasons, non-season one season, shall we say, um, which I know is bad English, excuse me. Uh, but you know what I mean. Uh, stuff we can't refer to here in this being a season one spoiler-free podcast. But thanks all the same to uh, Travis, our good friend, and uh, Matthew Battles uh, for their emails. Also, I'd just like to give quick mention to Alm42379 on Twitter and Mazur72 on Twitter, uh, who have, have both sent in very kind feedback about the show. Uh, but emails I can mention, I've had a bit of an email conversation with Sandy in Seattle, who uh, I'm delighted to hear has converted her husband to watching Dexter. Uh, that's good news. And she pointed me to a book called The Psychology of Dexter, which I've now ordered from eBay. It looks like a series of essays about the character, which should be right up my street. I suspect, though, it will be laden with spoilers from our current season one perspective, so I might not be able to talk about it too much here. But, Sandy, thanks very much for telling me about it. She also said in her email, it's been fun for me too to rewatch the old episodes because you forget a lot of little details, especially after five seasons and so much happening. Too bad Michael C. Hall didn't win the Golden Globe on Sunday night. I was rooting for him, though I also love Walter White from Breaking Bad. Both great shows and great complex characters. The book, The Psychology of Dexter, is quite fascinating. A look inside the mind of our favourite vigilante. Does he remind you a bit of a Batman-like character? The more I think about the show, I regard it sort of like a great comic book. Dexter, our anti-hero, even has his origin story. Anyway, I just think it's fantastic. I love season five and can't wait for season six. Thanks, Andy. Uh, yes, indeed. It was a shame Dexter, um, either Julia Stiles or Michael C. Hall, didn't pick up uh, any awards lately. Um, that, you mentioned the Golden Globes. There was also uh, the Screen Actors Guild Awards, in which Dexter drew a blank. Very much the darling of the awards this season was Boardwalk Empire, which was a good show. Um, just had its first season, and Steve Buscemi has been awarded as well. He he did good work. You mentioned Dexter being a vigilante. Yes, he is a vigilante of sorts. We've talked about what he is in the past. He is taking out people who have killed. He's, he's taking out people who, as he puts it, deserve to die. He, he, he used those words in uh, this latest episode. But, as we've discussed, his primary motivation is a selfish one. To satiate his dark passenger. Um, to fulfil his dark needs. And it's just a, a fortunate byproduct of that that he's dispatching killers in the process, and and that well, that's thanks largely to Harry, isn't it? And how he channeled Dexter. You describe him as a kind of Batman-like character, I suppose. So Batman or Bruce Wayne, he had that traumatic experience as a child, and it's driven him to uh, seek out criminals and uh, see them brought to justice. I can't really uh, speak with any kind of authority on Batman, uh, and I've not seen um, I've not seen all the Batman films either. But obviously, Dexter is is a killer, um, so there is that big difference. Uh, but both characters went through that traumatic, that deeply traumatic experience at a young age, an impressionable age. Uh, so yeah, I guess you can describe Dexter as a kind of comic book um, in, in a fashion, and obviously the uh, the animated episodes. Uh, that you can still see online. Obviously, they're very much comic book style. So thanks, Sandy. Uh, moving on, 
Uh, Mark Baldin has emailed in. He says, I thoroughly enjoyed season one. The overriding question, though, of why the ice truck killer didn't drop Dexter in the shed. Mark goes on to refer to events that are yet to come in his email, so I'll not read that bit out. But the question he asks there is perfectly valid. And I think I I can just respond um, in that the reason why uh, Dexter wasn't dropped in it by the ice truck killer, perhaps, well, I think it's fair to say it's likely to be revealed later in the season. It's, it is a fair and valid question at this point in the season. And you'd hope it's one of the mysteries that will be resolved by the season's end. Thanks, Mark. Uh, Barbara from New York emailed to say, I'm so glad you're podcasting season one. I've been re-watching it and was amazed to see all the things I'd missed first time round. But don't worry, I won't throw any spoilers in. In episode 7, we meet Rita's husband, Paul. He of the dead eyes and hair-trigger anger. I found myself wishing Dexter would just take him out once and for all. That's the danger of Dexter, isn't it? Rooting for the bad guys to face justice at the hand of our favourite killer. Of course, Paul hasn't killed anyone, so doesn't meet Harry's code. The boy whom Dexter was tracking down looked very much like young Dexter, didn't he? In many ways, they were similar, except the boy didn't have Harry in his life. There but for the grace of Harry went Dexter Morgan, yes? Finally, I love the pilot, especially because it was filmed in Florida, which is a magical place for me. I get down there often and I love the warm, sweet breezes blowing through the palms. Thanks again for everything. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Barbara. Always good to hear from you. You were um, a regular contributor to the Season season 5 podcast and uh, it's good to hear from you again. Yes, indeed. The actor playing Jeremy Downs did look like a young Dexter, and I'm sure that wasn't coincidental, the similarity. And I like your your phrase there, there but for the grace of Harry went Dexter Morgan. That was a good one. And of course, uh, Dexter pretty much um, says what you said, that Jeremy didn't have someone like Harry in his life. Dexter had Harry to talk to and to guide him. Uh, I like your description of Paul, he of the dead eyes and hair-trigger anger. And of course, uh, he's a huge thorn in their side. And yeah, <laughs> the danger of Dexter and that we're all wanting Dexter just to take this guy out. And obviously it will remain to be seen uh, how Dexter deals with, with Paul in future episodes. So thanks for your email, Barbara. Anyone who wants to email in, as I've uh, given the address already in the show, uh, I'll do it again, dissectingdexter at gmail.com and the listener lines 844 Five seven nine six nine four nine in the UK, and you enter mailbox ID zero eight three two zero when the voice prompts you. In the US, the new listener line is two zero six three three seven four eight one seven, and you can also contact the show on Twitter at dissect dexter. And I'd also I mentioned Travis thanking him for his email. I'd also like to uh, thank him for trying the uh, the old listener line number earlier in January after I asked someone to try it uh, in the last show Uh, thanks travis appreciated next time on dissecting dexter we're at quite a critical point in the season the ice truck killer case has been the crux of the story and there was a big twist in that quarter this week it seemed we had our culprit in neil perry who even had the police convinced before the rug was pulled from under our feet at the very end Like I said in my review, though, will Dexter tell anyone Perry isn't the one? It's unlikely, isn't it? But when they come to examine the evidence, will the police start to find cracks in the case themselves? The next episode is called Shrink Wrap, and by the end of that, we'll be two-thirds through the season. The synopsis of the next episode reads as follows. The suicide of a wealthy and powerful businesswoman leads Dexter to suspect that her psychologist may have killed her. But Dexter gets a surprise of his own. When he pays a visit to the suspect, Dr Emmett Meridian forces Dexter to open up dark secrets from his past. Elsewhere, as Rita Rita, Rita becomes warmer to her ex-husband Paul, who claims to be a changed man, she wants to move on to intimacy with Dexter, who is afraid of consummating their romance. Meanwhile, Lieutenant LaGuerta's visits to Neil Perry makes her become more sceptical to his claims as being the ice truck killer. Also, Deborah's romance with prosthetic specialist Rudy begins to heat up. Okay, so we saw Paul 
profess to being a change man this week and it sounds like it might suck Rita in. Do any of you trust him? <laughs> I certainly don't. We might be able to look forward to some awkward moments for Dexter though as it sounds like Rita gets in the mood for some of that Morgan Amore. <laughs> and, and as far as the ice truck killer case it does sound like the police begin to doubt Neil Perry's guilt so that'll be interesting to see unfold. And Deb, is she finally going to be lucky in love? It might be good for her to have another man to lean on and receive support from. She's not been too delighted with support from her brother this week, has she? Or lack of. Well, that's about it for another Dissecting Dexter. It's been brilliant to get back into season one. I have to say again, I really enjoyed this episode. Loads happened, and the character stuff for Dexter lifted it above some of the other recent episodes. This really is a strong season of television drama, and from your feedback, ranks among the top two Dexter seasons for a lot of you. I hope to review the next episode soon, but I can't promise exactly when. Ideally in the next couple of weeks, but... It entirely depends on work commitments, <laughs> as always. To be honest, it's a miracle I kept up with Season 5 like I did, but I'm glad that I did. So, thanks very much for listening. Take care, guys, and join me again soon when we'll be dissecting some more Dexter. Dexter. <laughs>